0: What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk Podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, the one and only Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going
1: on, Ethan? Big night for the Cavs tonight.
0: Well, for fans that don't know, we are recording this after the Cavs took down the reigning NBA champ Nuggets 121-109 to 109, on Sunday. Was this a statement win for the Cavs against the reigning champs, especially without Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. There's no doubt about it. I think we also have to put it in perspective, right? Denver's a completely different team on the road than they are at home. Every single loss that they have on their resume so far this year has been on the road. They looked completely lethargic and uninterested at the beginning of the game. But who cares? The Cavs took advantage of that, right? And sometimes that's what you have to do. And the Cavs were without Donovan Mitchell. They were without Karis LeVert. They were without Ty Jerome and Isaac Okoro. So four of the top nine in what was supposed to be their expected nightly rotation did not play. And yet the Cavs still led for more than 43 minutes in tonight's game. So yes, it was a statement win. The Cavs have played much better since Jared Allen returned from his injury. The Cavs have played much better as a team at both ends of the floor, trying to get that complete game that they've been talking about. And it's now their third win in a row. They are back over 500 for the second time this year. The only other time they were above 500 was opening night when they beat the Brooklyn Nets. So this was a huge win for the Cavs. And this is one, look, it's a regular season win. It's only November, but this is one that they can certainly be proud of because of everything they had to overcome to get it.
0: I think this win proved that the Cavs can potentially hang with teams at the top of the league, but most importantly, how gritty this team can be on the defensive end. The Nuggets shot 46% from the field and 42% from three. But because the Cavs out-rebounded them and only allowed nine offensive rebounds, Cleveland was able to minimize Denver's opportunities with the ball. And I want to talk about somebody who gave a spark off the bench for the Cavs. NBA kind of knew about Imani Bates coming into the season, but Cavs fans have been introduced quickly to rookie Craig Porter Jr. He's been a dynamic playmaker and scorer for Cleveland while orchestrating the offense with his maturity to not getting rattled in tough situations. How important do you think Craig Porter Jr. is to the playoff push that the Cavs are going to make this year?
1: Well, look, I mean, I was talking to somebody inside the front office who is actually on a flight to Hawaii tonight. Just about the backstory of Craig Porter Jr., how they found him, what went into getting him on a two-way contract. And the way that he phrased it is, where would we be at backup point guard without Craig Porter Jr.? Hmm. Because this is an organization, Ethan, that came into this this season after an offseason of activity feeling like they were relatively set at point guard. Darius Garland, the all-star starter. Then you have Ricky Rubio coming off the bench, Ty Jerome to be the understudy to Ricky Rubio and then maybe eventually become the backup point guard. And then Craig Porter Jr. on a two-way contract. Craig Porter Jr. on a two-way contract who was probably going to spend most of his rookie season with the Cleveland Charge playing in the G League. And then all of a sudden, Ricky Rubio has the situation where he decides to step away from basketball, pause his professional playing career while he was getting ready for the World Cup with Spain, while one of the members of the Cavs front office was on his way to Spain to actually watch Ricky practice, work out, and have dinner with him. And Ricky obviously wants to focus on his mental health. And there's been no update on his status when or if he's going to return to the team. So all of a sudden, that takes out one of the options for backup point guard. And then Ty Jerome gets injured in his second career game with the Cavs. So he's played less than 20 minutes. And suddenly, a spot that the Cavs felt like was going to be one of their strengths turned into a weakness in... In an instant. And J.B. Bickerstaff had to do a bunch of different stuff. And then Darius Garland went out. And then he had to do a bunch more different stuff. Donovan Mitchell, de facto point guard. Karis Levert, de facto point guard. And all of a sudden, Craig Porter Jr., on a two-way contract, an undrafted rookie free agent, gets an opportunity basically out of necessity. Because the Cavs had no other playable options at point guard. So I don't know where they would be without him. I don't know what they would be doing for backup point guard minutes without him. From that standpoint, early on in this season, he has been a godsend. He has been quite a find by this front office. And as long as he continues to play well, as long as he continues to look unfazed, and as long, Ethan, as the Cavs continue to deal with injuries at the guard position, he's going to continue to get an opportunity. He has clearly earned some trust from Cavs coach J.B. Bickerstaff, who talked about that following the game tonight. And as long as the Cavs are going to be short on playmakers and ball handlers, he's going to continue to have his number called. And every time he has gotten an opportunity in the NBA, he has looked at the very least like he belongs in the league and not in the G League.
0: Craig Porter Jr.'s 21 points are the most by a Cavs undrafted rookie since Delhi in 2014. And with Lavert out, who we consider to be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation, I think Porter's done an arguably as good job of being a catalyst off the offensive end and still being active on defense in fewer minutes. These last two games for him have shown his maturity and composure in high-pressure moments and opportunities. So my question is, what happens to his role when injured players return? Do you think he's already earned a stable rotation spot, or will he have to, again, be the third, fourth option off the bench when Ty Jerome and Karis LeVert come back?
1: Well, look, Ethan, I just think when you're talking about the makeup of a basketball team, right, Everybody has a specific role. Not everybody is going to have a premier role like Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. It's just not what it is. Craig Porter Jr.'s role is going to be play when needed, but when guys are healthy, it's going to be tougher for you to find minutes. That's just the reality of it. JB has talked from the very beginning about his comfort with a nine- or ten-man rotation. And that's not going to change. It didn't change last year. And it's not going to change this year. So if we're being honest about the situation, as good as Craig Porter Jr. has played, like there's not even consistent minutes for Ty Jerome. Like if we're looking at the big picture of this whole thing, the grand scope of this whole thing. And if he's going to be committed to nine, JB, then we all know who the nine are. And Ty Jerome was kind of like that swing nine guy. Okay, like, do we need a little bit more size on the perimeter? Do we need a little bit more shooting on the perimeter? Do we need a little bit more playmaking and ball handling? So I think if Okoro comes back, if Levert comes back, and if Donovan Mitchell comes back, I should say when those guys come back, then that pushes Craig Porter Jr. further and further down the hierarchy and when Ty Jerome comes back whenever that's going to be and i don't think it's going to be anytime soon because while we were on the road trip Ethan he was taking one legged shots because he could not land on his sore right ankle it was a severe sprain it had him in a walking boot early on and he just has not been able to do a lot of on court activity and like i said the jumpers that he was taking when he was actually doing some shooting at the end of shoot around were all one legged and he wasn't landing on his foot because he was protecting it. So when Ty Jerome comes back, whenever that is, he's going to have a hard time getting consistent minutes. And if he's going to have a hard time getting consistent minutes and carving out a specific role, then Craig Porter Jr. is as well. Look, JB has shown that he's willing to give guys an opportunity. And JB has shown that he's willing to adapt and he's willing to be flexible. Um, So there's a chance But there's just not a lot of room for a player like him when the Cavs are full strength.
0: It's going to be tough for him. I'm glad that he's been able to show what he's able to do and give himself a shot to even be I mean, that's his role,
1: though, right? Right. Like That's your role on a two-way contract. Sometimes you're going to play with the Cavs, and sometimes you're going to play with the G League charge. And when you're with the Cavs, there's no guarantee that you're actually going to play. But you have to stay ready. And you have to be capable when your number is called. And to this point, he has been. So good on him for taking advantage of this opportunity and earning minutes while these guys are out. But that doesn't mean that he's going to have a set place and all of a sudden he's going to bump Karis Levert from the rotation or he's going to bump Isaac Okoro from the rotation or something like that. It's just not going to happen.
0: Let's move back over to the matchup of the night. Coming in, we knew what it was going to be. It was Jared Allen versus Nikola Jokic. There is no stopping Nikola Jokic. There's only slowing him down. And you could not have done a better job than what Jared Allen did tonight. He held Jokic to under 20 points for the first time this season and ended the game with a plus minus of 42 Before we go into Allen's impact, I want to rattle off some Cavs history. This was the highest plus minus for the Cavs since Timothy Mozgov had a plus minus of 42 against the Wizards on February 20th, 2015. So since they had the same number, I had to do some research. They are tied for the third best plus minus in Cavs history, Brian Skinner also had a plus 42 in 2002 against the Timberwolves. The top two on this list might surprise you and some fans. Number two is Bryant Stiff, who had a plus 44 rating in the same game on January 29th, 2002 as Skinner against the Timberwolves. So the Cavs had two players with a plus 40 rating in that 114 to 81 win over the T-Wolves. And that brings me to number one on this list. Dion Waiters, who had a plus 45 rating against the Hawks on November 15th, 2014. And I don't know about you, but the only time I really think about Dion Waiters was in the sophomore game where he was just cooking people. But Dion Waiters and the Cavs, Feels like ancient history, but somehow he still is on the top. So back to my original point, how pivotal has Allen's return been for the Cavs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can tell, Ethan. They're just a different team offensively and defensively when he's on the court. It's been that way since they traded for him a couple years ago. There's a reason why he is considered the anchor of the defense. There's a reason why people feel like inside the organization They feel like the trajectory of this rebuild changed forever when he got here because he allowed the Cavs to have a specific idea. What makes them unique on the defensive end of the floor is to have two elite rim protectors, not just one. So if you take him out of the mix, more of that burden falls on Evan Mobley. The role for Evan on the defensive end changes. How J.B. Bickerstaff can unleash Evan Mobley on the defensive end changes. Like Jared Allen is the kind of guy who puts everybody in the right place at both ends of the floor. And he's an elite screen setter on offense. He has a unique gravity to him on offense because of his ability as a lob threat because of his ability as somebody who can play out of the pocket. So the numbers bear it out, whether it's this year early on in the season or last year during the stretches where they didn't have Jared Allen or the year before that, in the stretches where they didn't have Jarrett. The Cavs are not a good team without Jarrett Allen.
0: All right. I agree with you. And we're going to get into it a little bit more. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley have messed. So you already kind of get into it, but we're going to go a little bit further into depth and ask some questions based on what some listeners have said. But before then, Subscribe to Subtext, which is a way to become a Cavs insider with insight from myself and Chris that won't be on your everyday social media platforms. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that people who sign up stick around. Because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. And with that, we'll be right back. So you kind of got into it a little bit before the break. Chris talking about should the Cavs prioritize playing both Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together or is it more beneficial to stagger their minutes? I think the Cavs are building something that is growing every single game that Jared and Evan are on the court together. I think this will end up being one of the most dominant front court duos because of how much pressure Jarrett takes away from Evan to allow him to be more offensively savvy At the beginning of the season, outside of his 33-point performance, Evan Mobley hadn't scored over 15 points. But over the last six games, which also include when Jared Allen returned, he's been more aggressive and has scored 16 or more points in each game during that stretch. How do you think the defensive weight that Jared Allen takes off of Evan Mobley's shoulders allows him to operate on the offensive end? Because we always talk about how defense can lead the offense.
1: I think there's some trickle-down effect for sure. I also think the, the the way that Evan is used when he's at the four as opposed to the five and he's playing next to Jarrett is a little bit different, right? Jarrett's the one who's setting the screens. Jarrett's the one who's carving the space for the guards. Jarrett's the one who's rolling and playing out of the pocket as opposed to Evan. And instead of Evan... Being the initiator in situations like that, he's more of the finisher in situations like that. So I think it helps a little bit. Obviously, the spacing can be a little bit wonky between the two guys because they're both non shooting bigs. So in specific matchups, it's going to work better than other matchups. But I think the Cavs understand that even though they lose a little bit of spacing with those two guys on the floor together, even though they lose a little bit of offense with those two guys. On the floor together. They gain so much on defense that it just makes more sense to continue to keep them together. And it's not surprising to me that the Cavs have seven wins so far this season, and five of those are since Jarrett returned to the lineup. I think people started to take him for granted because of everything that happened in the series against the Knicks, and because the Knicks were a bad matchup for him specifically, and some of the comments that he made during that series against the Knicks. But Jarrett to me has always been the kind of guy, Ethan, that you feel his impact more when he's not there because you take it for granted when he is there because you don't have to worry about him really. And when the Cavs didn't have him early on the season, and yeah, it coincided with some other things that they were dealing with at the time, but when they didn't have him early in the season, they felt that loss at both ends of the floor.
0: And the last topic that I want to get into today is after playing the Kings. Thunder and Nuggets without Isaac Okoro, who do you think has stepped up defensively? And being honest, who is still lacking? I think Dean Wade has been huge defensively, especially against the Nuggets tonight. And I know the other day we were discussing if George Niang should be playing more, but that doesn't even feel like it's in a conversation at this point because of the way Wade has guarded players like Kate Cunningham and Michael Porter Jr. tonight. His play has really helped the Cavs, especially with the core on Mitchell out. And the other player I think has helped out defensively on a high note, but it's been more on switching and guarding three to five, has been Max Struess, just because of how he's been able to get around ball screens and help on the off side of the ball and on the weak side.
1: I mean, it's so funny that you bring that up, Ethan, because... I was having a conversation with Darius Garland during the road trip, and it was about Max Struess, and I was trying to get to learn about Max and and how he was fitting with the team, and I was talking to as many players as possible about Max, and I'm sitting next to Darius, and we're having that conversation, and one of the Cavs players overhears the conversation that I was having with Darius, and one of the questions that I asked is, like, have you been surprised at Max's defense? Because he came from Miami with a reputation of being a terrible defender. And the advanced metrics were not very friendly to Max. And the player that overheard me ask that question chimed in and said, Chris, I think you're talking about the other white shooter from Miami. (laughs) Obviously, he was referring to Duncan Robinson. But then like, I pulled up all the numbers and I showed it to that player. And he was like, "Look, numbers can lie. Film doesn't. Max tries hard on defense, he gives effort, he's in the right places, he's got a high basketball IQ, he can at least hold his own on the defensive end, unlike the other shooter from Miami, and I said, okay, interesting, let me continue to monitor this as the season goes on, and at the very least, I'll say this, some of the concerns that I had about Max as a defender, especially on the ball, playing the position that he was playing and guarding the guys that he was going to be responsible for guarding, they've been quelled a little bit. At the very least, I can say that I don't think he's a defensive liability out there. Maybe that changes in a seven-game series in the playoffs, right? When all of a sudden teams start to attack him a little bit more and more and more, expose his defensive flaws a little bit more and more and more. But it doesn't feel like he's a liability out there that the Cavs sit there and say, we can't possibly play him on defense because he continues to give up this, 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 and this. We've got to go to Isaac Okoro, or we've got to go to Karis Lever. And if Max is going to give the effort on the defensive end, combined with what he brings them offensively, which everybody understands what that is, then I think um, it's going to be just fine for the Cavs. And I don't think they have to worry about him nearly as much as I thought they were going to have to.
0: And speaking of having to go back to Isaac Okoro, how significant do we expect Isaac's return to be to elevate the already growing Cavs defense to another level? It feels like, to me at least, that they are learning how to be a good defensive team without Isaac. And I think Isaac's presence will allow Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to focus on rebounding more as Isaac has been known to keep his opponent on the perimeter and even when in the paint his second jump to get defensive boards is already impressive and I think just his presence alone on the defensive end will help especially when you know sometimes Max Struess might struggle defensively against a certain player so you can go to Isaac in those situations I think it depends on the matchup Right. Yeah, it, it does. And, and it feels like there's a lot of moving parts now when thinking about how deep this roster was supposed to be at the beginning of the season and how many people got hurt and how everybody had to adjust. But now we're looking into our crystal ball and thinking, what is this defense and roster going to look like with Isaac Okoro back on the court?
1: And not to downplay this or anything along those lines, but there's a give and take still when it comes to Isaac. Isaac on the offensive end, Isaac on the defensive end. And he started off the year and he was scoring better and he was more of a threat from three-point range. But it's just different when the Cavs go from Max Struess to Isaac Okoro on the offensive end. Just like it's different when they go from Max Struess to Isaac Okoro on the defensive end. They each have their strengths. And I think it helps that Isaac fills in the gaps. The thing that I'll say, though, is that If this team can become fully healthy, suddenly the reliance on certain guys isn't what it was to start the year. Suddenly you can play Isaac 18 to 24, which is probably more accustomed to what he should be getting based on the limitations still offensively. Suddenly you can cut Dean Wade's minutes down and you can take him out of the starting lineup, which is probably what should be happening. You know, these guys that are currently playing upwards of 30 minutes, if not more than that, they probably shouldn't be playing that much, especially on a team that has playoff aspirations. But when the Cavs get fully healthy, they don't need that from those guys. And those guys become back end of the rotation players. Those guys become more of a luxury than a necessity, which is basically what they should be at this stage of their career with some of the limitations that they have
0: and that'll wrap up this episode of the wine and gold talk podcast don't forget to sign up for a 14-day free trial on subtext or visit cleveland.com backslash calves and click on the blue bar at the top of the page this isn't just our podcast it's your podcast and the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext y'all be safe peace out